0: Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Or as the question is more commonly put, what do I got to do to get to heaven when I die? To which the atheist would say, Don't even bother with the question. There is no God, the atheist says. There is no life after this one, the atheist insists. So the question is meaningless. To which the agnostic would say, You can't even know whether there is a God. You can never be certain whether there's a life after this one. To which the apotheist says, who cares? Doesn't even want to give a thought to it. I mention those three points of view because in the last five years, in the last five years, philosophical atheists, agnostics, and so-called apatheists have become much more vocal. They seem to be a growing percentage in, not only in our country, but even in our own community. But you know what? They've been deceived. They've been misinformed. They actually, with, with any of those points of view, they're denying something that, that God has put right here the spirit of the lord jesus prompted wise king solomon to write god has put eternity in the human heart thoughts of eternity thoughts and ideas about what goes beyond just my short little life god has put this right here so ask away Ask alongside with an, an, an eager and conscientious young man who one day was so, this, this question was so important to him, he ran to Jesus and humbly he throws himself at Jesus' feet and breathlessly he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or as he could have put it, what do I got to do to get to heaven when I die? And, and for those who read the Bible, Jesus kind of surprises us a little bit. He, Jesus begins him, begins him with a, a, a very human answer, the, the standard answer, the, the kind of answer that you'd hear in every man-made religion on the face of the earth. Jesus tells him, "You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal." Honor your father and mother. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. As I imagine it, the, the young and conscientious young man, the wheels are turning in his head and he's computing this. I've not committed homicide. I've not been unfaithful to my spouse, nor, nor do I ever plan to be. I've never stolen as much as a denarius. I've never lied in a court of law. I've never taken advantage of somebody in a business deal. I've always been good to my parents. So his his thought process is, Lord, I'm in, right? I'm in the kingdom. All these commandments I've kept since I was a boy. St. Mark says at that point, Jesus looks straight at that young man. He loves him, and Jesus pulls out from its sheath this sharp sword. You know, the sword that's you know, it's maybe about this long. If he'd run his thumb along one edge, he'd draw blood. If he grabbed it on the other side, he'd wince in pain. The sword of the, of the Roman infantryman that would, would he'd carry with him into battle the kind of sword that a soldier could could swing this way and this way, and in the process he could maim and dismember and slash open his enemy before his enemy slashed him open. Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, St. Mark says, the young man's face fell because what the Lord had done with his word is he had slashed him open and exposed the stinginess in his heart. Exposed to himself and to God the fact that He loved his treasures now before he, more than he loved his treasures in heaven. That he wanted to keep all this, all this exposed, slashed open, exposed to him in a way that made him pretty sad. And he realizes, I want to keep my things. So he goes away sad because he had great wealth. God does that with his commandments to you and me all the time. One commandment, you shall not murder. I hear that commandment. I guess I'm doing okay. I've never done that. But then, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment, Matthew 5 the word slashes open my heart and exposes not only my anger but my anger as a sin against one of God's commands my anger which should have me standing before God's judgment seat condemned you hear the the command you shall not commit adultery And the first thought might be, well, I I think I'm doing all right in that regard. But then, among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Ephesians chapter 5, the Lord swings the sword of his word and cuts you open and you recognize that every impure desire Every impure thought puts me in big trouble in God's courtroom. The command, you shall not steal. I mean, when was the last time have I done? But then, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? The sword of the word cuts and exposes my reluctance to share what I have with those in need. The command is honor your father and mother and you perhaps think I'm doing all right by my parents, but then you remember your heart as a child your little heart which would be thinking pretty regularly of how can I get around the rules? How can I get away with disobeying mom and dad and they don't catch me with what I'm doing? So even as a child, the sword of the word cuts the heart open and there it is. Disobedient to father and mother in the, in the heart. You figured out by this time that Jesus did not really put, pull out a sword made of steel He pulled out the sword of his word and the word cuts to the bone, cuts to the marrow, opens up and exposes all. Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of the one to whom we must give account. So now the question gets really scary. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Or to put it in the way it's more commonly said, what do I got to do to get to heaven after I die? Jesus gashes this young man open, exposes to him his stinginess, his greed, the fact that he loved his, his treasures on earth more than he loved his Lord. The man goes away sad. Jesus' disciples remain. And he tells them how hard it is for someone who has wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. Which St. Mark says shocked the disciples, but it doesn't shock you and me. You know what that's like. You see the the, the savings account numbers going up, and the more they go up, the more you realize, I think I got security in that. The investment account, how you you feel about your life, and the investments are going up, Uh, good, I'm secure, I'm safe, I'm at peace. If the investments go down, I'm in trouble. I think anyone is susceptible to that, right? Trust in things, trust in riches, rather than simply trusting in God who is our Father and who loves us. The sword of the word cuts open the heart and exposes every one of us. Jesus even illustrates one of his best illustrations ever. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Really? Yeah, really. It's easier for the camel, give it one hump or two, to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples, of course, they ask what you and I ask, who then can be saved And Jesus answers, with man, impossible, but not with God, all things are possible with God. At Living Savior, the expression soccer camp is kind of a misnomer. Yeah, we roll soccer balls out in the field. Little kids run around in the field playing soccer. They practice dribbling and passing and, and they learn about teamwork. But the best part of soccer camp is those moments when the, the children sit down and they, they just listen. So on Monday, they heard about this, this woman in town who had a terrible reputation And nobody wanted her around, except Jesus. And Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And 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 then he doubles down and he says, your faith, your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace. Impossible? No, no. Not for the Son of God, who a few months after this is going to purchase that forgiveness with his own blood on the cross. All things are possible with God. On Tuesday, the, the children about, her, heard about Zacchaeus, the scheming, stealing tax collector. Nobody wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house except Jesus. He invited himself. And he brings Zacchaeus the word... And Zacchaeus apparently believes it. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Impossible? No. Not with the Son of God who not only offered himself on the cross, but then rose again to confirm that Zacchaeus had eternal life and salvation through him. All things are possible with God. Remember Wednesday? Wednesday. On Wednesday, it was the criminal on the other cross, someone being executed for his crimes, being punished in keeping with the life that he lived. Jesus from another cross says, today you will be with me in paradise. Impossible for a man like that? No. Not with the God who by his words and actions and by his spirit had brought that criminal to believe in Jesus. All things are possible with God. And and then on Thursday it was Saul, a murderer named Saul, somebody that persecuted God's people. He had a wicked plan. He was going to go to the next city. He was going to do some damage there, kill more of God's people. And then Jesus speaks his word to him and appears to him on the road and changes Saul's heart and turns this murderer into a messenger of life and equips Saul, Paul, to be the person who's going to bring the message of grace to the whole world. Impossible? Not with God. Not with the one who seeks and saves the lost so that those once lost now found can be seeking and saving others. All things are possible with God. You know, during soccer camp, never once did we tell the children, never once did we say, you can do whatever you set your heart on doing. We never said that. And never once should we tell one another, you can do whatever you set your mind to. Because they can't do that and we can't do that. The heart, human heart and mind are not only limited, the human heart and mind exposed by the word of God have been corrupted ever since two people fell into sin in, in, in the Garden of Eden. The written word of God is that two-edged sword and it exposes that even in the child's heart, there's anger there. And there's plans to disobey. And there's disrespect for authority. And there's impurity. And yeah, in the hearts of grown ups as well, apathy, anger, all sorts of wicked things churning around in here. And yet, God does the impossible. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the wrong question, isn't it? The question really is, what has Jesus done so that I might have eternal life? What do I got to do to get into heaven after I die? Wrong question. It's what has Jesus done to get camels, you and me, bear with me a little bit, to get camels through the eye of the needle and into his kingdom of grace right now and into his kingdom of glory forever. By his life, that he lived obedient, even in his heart. And by that beautiful sacrifice he presented on the cross, by his glorious resurrection, by his working in all things with eternity in mind, by his sending his Holy Spirit to give you the gift of grace and peace and faith, by his doing, he's done the impossible. Matter of fact, when it comes to now, when it comes to eternity, this is the Christian faith that all things are possible with God. Amen. Amen.